Welcome to season three of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 52, The Wolves. Today, we are joined by Ashwin Kamath and Clarence Simpson, the designers of The Wolves, published by Pandasaurus Games. Thanks, guys, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, for sure. I mean, I did get to play test this game, God, like a year ago or something it was, or maybe even two years. Like, what is COVID time? <laughs> yeah, it was probably you two years ago. in the COVID time. Yeah, in the COVID time, like in the like 2020, that era. Yeah, yeah probably. Well, uh, for anyone who doesn't know the both of you, mind telling everyone how you got into the game design industry? Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I spent most of my professional career doing video games. And, uh, so when I started that, that was also kind of around the time that I was introduced to modern hobby games. And I actually, the first year or two of my job there, I was doing a digital version of uh, Marvel trading card game. So it was kind of like a little overlap even then. But yeah, w while I was doing that, getting into the hobby, I remember, uh, seeing an ad for the game crafter back in like 2009 and suddenly you know it was had all this interest in in um trying to like seriously come up with a design spent a bunch of time on their forums and stuff uh and ended up coming up with this crazy like real-time abstract game uh that i ended up trying to pitch to, to z-man games at the time uh and zev said that he wasn't going to do abstracts and stuff and i ended up just kind of giving up on that for a while uh, until much, much later, 2019, uh, when I was at a local game convention and saw a game designers of North Carolina, like play test area where they were play testing some prototypes and giving away like prizes to like free games and stuff for people that would come play test and who doesn't want free games. So I went and did that and started talking to, uh, some of the, the people in the group. I had no idea they existed and were uh, here local and meeting every week basically you know playtesting their prototypes and helping each other out and there were people with published games and everything and so that's how you know i was like i guess maybe i can do this too if there's other people here that i can talk with and learn from so yeah just that that was kind of like my my start very cool and for the audience since there are two of you mind saying your name when you answer <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> yeah this good. was clarence that was just talking Hey, Clarence, Clarence, that was just talking. Uh, mind <laughs> reading a couple of books for me? I'm having a hard time reading through them. I was wondering if I could hand them over to you and you can just like, you know, read them for me. Um, your voice is so soothing. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is Ashwin talking. And throughout the rest of this podcast, you'll be hearing my voice periodically. And that'll be me talking. And um, I, I don't know if you wanted a whole like my, you know, out of the womb, I'm playing with Legos. Um, and how did I get into the gaming industry? It was from that Lego, that like four by four brick that I picked up that one day. But long story short, I was like, uh, you know, uh, playing Warhammer, playing all sorts of games as a high school adolescent, whatever. And then, you know, like fast forward to 2019, I joined this Facebook group um that uh a friend of you know the show and everyone uh, emma larkins uh kind of runs and it's a weekly game design group i moved to seattle kind of you know several years before that but i like in a way to make friends i need to you know reach out and find people find my people um found board game groups but you know like different audiences this was my group this was my people i had no idea until i joined one day a year and a half later in 2019 
and um, never looked back since. It met every week. It was so convenient for me. It was the highlight of my week. I would keep going back and back and like have nothing to show, but just play test their games with like at, uh, utmost admiration and enthusiasm. And one week they said, where's your game? What are you up to? Where's your, you know, where's your, where's your prototype? And that just got me thinking that got me fueled. And uh, yeah, that's basically how I got into the gaming industry, I suppose. It's so funny. I love Emma. She's also been on the show and I'm a big fan of her playtest group because I also during the COVID times of online would jump into that every once in a while back when I was central time. But now that I'm East Coast time, it's around my bedtime. So it's kind of hard to do if you guys are even still going online. I think everyone's meeting in person again. I don't really know because other yeah, side uh, of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, this is Ashwin. Yeah, like the discord groups have kind of faltered or, you know, since the, you know, sunshine has shown its head, right. Like, uh, through the smoke and all, like people have started to go back into normal times a lot of, to a lot of degree. The Seattle playtest group has kind of fizzled quite a bit, even in person. It's started, it's starting to, you know, come back together, but it's, uh, it's hard. And I think, uh, discord groups are really great. They're still, they still exist like the break my game groups and the virtual playtesting groups, just they still are there and they're a great resource as well as like certain conventions like Protospiel online and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's hard to get those, uh, those playtests uh, on a whim online these days. Yeah. I know that my group also fell apart as the sunshine started to show, but you know what? It's nice that COVID stuff is getting better, but also I do, I do miss like having that bi-weekly or weekly meetup online. But here, let's switch over. Let's go back to we're talking about The Wolves, your game that literally just came out. And I was so bummed that I couldn't get a copy of it, even when I was in Germany. Granted, the idea of bringing back an estate game to from Germany, a little ridiculous, but it looked amazing. And I'm excited to eventually grab it in person. So mind telling the audience how to play The Wolves? Uh, sure. Uh, this is Clarence. Uh, so The Wolves is a game where you play as a pack of wolves and you're building and strengthening your pack over time you're uh trying to control territory building dens hunting prey uh and you know just trying to get the most points by the end of the game the thing that's we believe is kind of the mechanical hook to the game uh is the action system where you're you're you have these wolves on this central shared board that is composed of five different types of terrain, uh, like tundra, forest, grass, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you also have these action terrain tiles that show uh, one type of terrain on one side and a, another type of terrain on the other side. So each player has a set of these uh, six tiles in, in front of them. And to do anything in the game, you have to flip the terrain tiles of the type of terrain where you want to do something. So if you want to move to the forest, you need to flip over a forest tile. If you want to build a den in the forest, you need to flip over two forest tiles. So you, you may have to flip over different numbers of, of matching tiles. But every time you do, um, you're changing what terrain types are available for your next action. So it's uh, it's it's like having a little mini puzzle um, every time you, you take a turn. So do you know what terrain is on the back of it? Or is it like once you flip it is when you find out? No, you do know. So in, in the corner of each tile is like a little, like it looks like a dog ear of a book page where you can see kind of what colors on the back. So gotcha. you, can, you can plan out. You can know like, uh, I need that uh, forest 
thing that's on the the back there. So I need to flip that tile. I need to do something in Tundra first so that I can do something in Forest next time. All right. So further expand upon the different actions or things you can do once you've flipped it. Because I know you said like putting it down, movement, like what are the actions you can be taking? Sure. So there's there's three, all all the actions take either one, two, or three terrain tiles of of the same type. Uh, The simplest one is just to, to move. So you flip over one terrain tile to move to that type of terrain. And then you can uh, build a den by For flipping the over. For movement, I have, is it just one of the wolves or is it the whole pack? Right. How does so, that work? Sure. So there's, uh, there's a couple of attribute tracks on your player board that will define how, exactly how much and how far you can move. So there are, uh, there's a wolf spread or pack spread attribute that shows how many wolves you can move for a single action, and then a wolf speed attribute that tells you how far each one of those wolves can move. So that's uh, that's that's kind of the restrictions there. And then for uh, building dens, you'll take dens off of your player board, which the, the dens are actually on these attribute tracks, uh, the wolf speed, the pack spread, and a third one, the howl range so when you take a a den off of the player board you're actually choosing which one of those attribute tracks to improve uh, and then you're putting the den down on the board uh, which can help you with area control um, which uh, happens during the scoring rounds and can also uh, you can upgrade dens to layers later so that's the second action building a den Uh, you can also kind of like I just said you can upgrade a den to a layer uh, as long as the den is next to a water source, there's a um, bunch of water sources scattered around on the board. And if you upgrade a, a den to a layer, then it's uh, it's a much stronger power on for the area control purposes and uh, also gets you some victory points and some extra uh, action uh, and wild uh, terrain tokens. There, there's wild terrain tokens that can you can spend instead of flipping over the tiles uh, and those can help you do things a lot more easily. Um, and then the fourth action you can do is you can howl, which, uh, again, you would spend two uh, terrain tiles of the same terrain type to howl at lone wolves. There's lone wolf tokens that are scattered around the board at the, the beginning of the game. And if you howl at a lone wolf, that's uh, basically expanding and growing your pack. You have a have a set of uh, pack wolves on your on your player board that you you take the uh, lone wolf token off and put the pack wolf token onto the board. Uh, and then you have more wolves that you can move around and uh, do things with. Uh, and then the last action that you can do is, is kind of the, this is the toughest one to pull off. It's called the dominate action. And for this one, you need to have three terrains of the same type. And if you can do this, then what you can do is you can actually uh, convert another player's pack wolf or den into your color so you take their piece off the board and put your piece on the board perfectly clear perfectly clear this is ashwin speaking on behalf of clarence's perfect notes um way of describing things no visual aid needed (laughs) i was actually gonna say that was pretty thorough It's like you say it a lot. Yeah, I, I realize how hard it is to kind of explain it without like pointing at things, though. I don't think I've, I've tried to, to go into that much detail without the, the game in front of me. Yeah, no worries. So what inspired you two to design this game in the first place? This one I'm going to leave to Ashwin because Ashwin was, was definitely the source of the, the inspiration for this. 
Yeah. Um, so kind of prior to like, in order to answer this, I must say this, uh, Clarence and I met through the tabletop mentorship program and it's a program for game designers, uh, artists, you know, um, uh, people who want to get into the biz. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Any, any, uh, vantage point. It's amazing. And it's remarkable. And you get to find people like I found Clarence. Um, he was my mentor. And for about three and a half months, we were uh, meeting bi-weekly, Eastern Standard Time, and <laughs> in the mornings. And I provided nothing. I, I think I did negative amount of work. I <laughs> would panic the night before and just stress about it. And then, you know, put a smile on my face every Saturday morning and say, you know what, Clarence? That's all I got. <laughs> I got some ideas and these ideas involve cubes and cards. And well, anyways, that was probably a waste of his time. However, we maintained a friendship. We vibe pretty well. And uh, maybe, um, you know, fast forward a few months, um, you know, then uh, COVID started to happen and surface and rear its head. And uh, well, nothing was really uh, working for me. I was getting some ideas, some nuggets of uh, things. But um Yeah. Uh, Clarence just kind of approached me one day and said, Hey, you up? And that's all I needed. That's literally all I needed to get inspired. Okay, I'm sorry. To- like, just freaking texted you, Yo, you up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, y or W-Y-D. He would do that. that that's, that's classic Clarence, right? And, that is um, hysterical. This sounds more like you two are about to get married <laughs> than design uh, a board game. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Well, for Clarence, it felt like a marriage. For me, it was like a happy relationship that, um, uh, ended with the published game. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, this is Ashwin again. Uh, he asked me what I was up to, and I said, nothing. Let's do a game together, and that's all I needed to get sparked for an idea. I came up with like a dozen or two dozen or five dozen, but who's counting ideas? And we kind of like uh, riffed off of what we liked in general, and things were about like music or, you know, wilderness things. And one happened to be about wolves, and it just how happened to me, like, I'm a fan of wolves i'm a fan of a sports team about wolves um or themed around wolves and he went to uh north carolina state which is the alma mater is the wolf pack that kind of like stemmed the beginnings the infant like the infantile beginnings of what was then about uh this game and what inspired us we then like riffed on all sorts of factoids about wolves and what could wolves do and what could they uh be about and uh i was interested in kind of more player interactive games and getting my feet wet in maybe potentially area control or maybe potentially you know like a three player version of a game right you know not like a head to head or not a solo game but maybe like you know high interactive and it just so happened to be naturally Wolves can do things that are wolf-like and <laughs> habitual to wolves and find themselves in t- like territorial battles with other wolves. And that's a natural thing that happens with them. And there are clear divides amongst, um, you know, types of wolves and packs of wolves. And just so happen to seamlessly find itself into playable states. So quickly from 60 ideas to one idea within a matter of like minutes and um, in the matter of weeks, we had a prototype ready. Very cool. I always find it interesting with wolves, how they travel in packs, but then it's like the whole lone wolf thing is a thing. I just is very yeah. fascinating to me. 
But okay, cool. So you formed a pack, you made a prototype. What kind of changes uh, happened during the playtesting and developing process? This is Clarence. Uh, yeah, so for, I, I would say uh, one of the early things that we had to figure out was uh, how, how to make the terrain matter, right? Like from the very first playable prototype that we had, this was when we weren't even putting this in front of people. It was just like me and Ashwin uh, you know, sitting on tabletop simulator and messing with pieces. Uh, we had a hex grid and we knew that we wanted to have kind of five different types of terrain. Um, and we at first just had no idea how to make that matter. Like we knew, uh, e- even from the beginning, we had these you know, like attribute tracks where, uh, you know, it, it, it affected how much, you, uh, you can move how far you can howl. All those sorts of things were there from from the very first iteration, but we didn't know how the the, t- the terrain could uh, could matter. So it, it took some some brainstorming for that. And I, I wasn't coming up with any like really good solutions uh, until I listened to. Uh, honestly, I, I can't even remember what it was. It was a game design podcast. I don't remember which one it was. And somebody on that podcast was talking about a prototype uh, where in this prototype they had cards, there were action cards and they were double-sided and when you play an action on one side you have to flip it over and then you know a different action is what you can take the next time. And I started thinking about that and I was like, wait, can I can I do this with terrain? Can I put terrain on double-sided cards and, and make that work? And so that was really like the genesis of the whole terrain idea. So I, I, I owe a debt to whoever <laughs> that podcast is and whoever made that uh, that prototype. I find it really cool when people utilize both sides of a card or a component. And it's funny, one of the past podcasts I just recorded also, we talked about it, but like, I remember like point salad was this huge thing where everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, this idea of flipping the card over. And it's like, why isn't this used as much? Because like there's so much space on the back of a card, which is just basically used for the logo of the game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So very cool. And where did it go from then? Like how much did it change? What changed? Yeah, um, this is Ashwin. It it changed quickly and often. And uh, and most of it just res- res- revolved around like, how much uh, an an amount of and uh, game end state, right? So should this be a three hour affair? Let's check the box off. I'll check, let's check the box off and say no. Should this be like a 45 minute affair? Let's check the box off and say no, because things are kind of happening too fast and people want to kind of uh, assume that they're uh, growing with their pack. They get to figure out more and more about the game as they're playing. Let's like uh, trim some of the fat around the edges of the, the map that we're making so then they're you know the piece the places that they're not uh, using right like the spaces that they're not going to let's make them a little smaller oh let's make this symmetrical you know so then things are kind of like uh you know um on one end or the other and maybe you can have modularity uh, with the setup um we we had dabbled with asymmetry we had dabbled with all sorts of like finicky kind of ideas and it kind of uh became just like let's have everyone start at the same kind of state and grow accordingly they get to choose their path how to evolve their pack as wolves do they get to find how they want to live in this habitat or not right and if they don't want to they'll they'll be nomadic and they'll move on they'll go to another space on the map translated perfectly to our space 
our, our space of design where we looked at uh, maybe regions of hexes and say, let's make that a tile. Let's make that one piece. Let, let's have that score. And let's have um, another piece score either at the same time or at a different time. You know, things like that would come in and out of gameplay and through testing. And um, it just happened really quickly, really rapidly. And, you know, thankfully, through all the online testing and online uh, conventions that we were able to utilize and take advantage of, we were able to see that rapid progression naturally, like just it just happened. Well, so it's been pretty amazing with like tabletop simulator and other various forms of digital play testing. Like you can iterate so much quicker because you no longer have to print and cut and sleeve and all that exactly. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like travel to a place and meet a bunch of play testers. Like I know that I personally like I can fit nine play tests into one day now, which I find bonkers, <laughs> but awesome. Yeah. Speaking of bonkers, we did six play tests in one weekend where we were also like playtesting other people's games and just, just general chit chatting with other people. It's a, you know, 72 hour, you know, convention, 24 hours a day. I would find myself or we would find ourselves an off hours working on the game to test new versions and then come back with feedback, have a small discussion about it, have changes, rapidly see these things coming in and out. Of. And I think that was such a huge boon to this, this, the, the success of this, uh, the game was to see it quickly i would say that's definitely true this is clarence again the you know especially compared to prototyping uh and play testing in in person right like if you go to even to like something like unpub right if you see that you've got some major changes that you need to make after the first play test uh your prototype might be dead in the water if you need to like go print some stuff or find some new pieces or, or whatever um but yeah, with doing the digital stuff, it was it was very very easy and very quick, um, and and actually that's that's something that was very uh, unique I would say about the the play testing as general is that it was entirely done digitally. Like we never touched a physical version of this game until we got the final printed copy, which is kind of bananas if you think about it wow yeah that's crazy I mean like in a good way but I'm wow that's surprising. You never printed it out and like played with your immediate family or like whoever you lived with? Never did. Wow. I uh, attempted, this is Ashwin, attempted at finding family to play test with me, but I found none. They all declined. Oh, no. So I made oh. I made like a 25% version of the prototype, oversized everything because I'm learning how to prototype as well. And so small cubes, massive hexes. I stopped at like, you know, hex five tile five so you got super far is what i'm hearing (laughs) that's so funny okay well then at what point did pandasaurus enter the scene on this project uh yes uh, this is clarence again so uh, there was definitely a point where um the feedback that we were getting was was really good and and we were getting like really uh consistent feedback specifically about like the action system and how unique that was how that was the the definite mechanical hook to the game that people had never seen that kind of thing before. Um, and just that, you know, the game started just feeling good. And, uh, and at that point we decided that we should start trying to, uh, pitch it to, to different publishers. And we kind of came up with a, a wish list of publishers that we might want to try to pitch it to, um, and started sending out emails. Uh, I just went back and looked actually, and we had, we'd sent uh, pitch emails out to 14 publishers and we had um, about three that were interested 
Uh, one of them couldn't really um, like uh, evaluate it quickly enough, though. So they were kind of like passed over. And then the last two, uh, we got offers from, uh, but we ended up going with uh, with Pandasaurus um, for uh, for the for the final the thing. Um, actually, I should backtrack a little bit because we didn't actually email Pandasaurus. We did a lot of email pitches, but the way we actually connected with them was through a speed pitching an online speed pitching event. Um, Love. Was it Metatopia? Unpub? Which is Metatopia. Gotcha. Very cool. And for anyone who doesn't know about it, would you mind explaining how speed pitching works? Sure. Clarence can uh, talk about speed pitching. (laughs) Okay, sure. Yeah. So for for speed pitching, uh, the way it works is uh, an organizer says that they're going to run a speed pitching event and they will contact um, publishers that they want to to see who um, might be interested in being involved with this and designers submit game uh, pitches that might be selected to participate in the event. Once designers and, and publishers are selected, what's going to happen is that designers will, uh, in, a, in a single night over the course of, uh, I guess, a couple hours, uh, they will sit down and make just rapid fire pitches to like 10 publishers. And so you'll, you'll sit down with a publisher. You have like five minutes or seven minutes. I don't remember what the number is to, to pitch and also deal with any kind of questions. And then the, the next publisher comes in right after that. And so it's, it's really quick. Uh, you can meet a lot of people really quick, make connections really fast. Um, and then, you know, if any publishers are, are interested, they'll, get your info and ask for like a full play test or, uh, you know, whatever their, their next thing is they want to look at, like the rule books. And then it goes from there. Okay. I have a random question. What year did this end up like this pitch at Metatopia happen? Was it 2020? Yes, it was 2020. Okay. So funny enough, I did the exact same speed pitch and that's how I signed my very first game too. (laughs) So, hey, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Good, good uh, luck on that one. Samesies, <laughs> twinsies. <laughs> Except mine has not even started artwork and we're still waiting. So mine's a longer process. <laughs> I've had other games come out and this one still hasn't. So uh, I still find that funny. Oh. But um, it's okay. It'll be good when it comes out. I'm not really worried. COVID, as you know, messed up quite a few small publishers. Yeah. 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 All publishers. Unfortunately. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Very true. Uh, so you two are co-designers. Do you have like a specific like thing that each of you take on when you're working together? Like how did that collaboration work? Yeah, I guess this is Ashwin going to field this uh, question. Uh, this is uh, um, catching me off guard. I feel like uh, we riffed really well together. So we would meet constantly, exchange ideas through, you know, Google chat or Messenger or you know, Instagram DMs, you know, however I feel felt the mood uh, and however to annoy, annoy Clarence the most. And um, we would meet periodically and, you know, kind of have a task list, like who would take on this and who could take on this. And um, more so even uh, I had access to all these tools to kind of design quickly. And I had some graphic skills um, and, you know, maybe uh, Clarence might have been working on some other things to uh, other games as well. So I took on maybe the bulk of like just the, um, the design of a lot of components and uh, how things felt and looked in TTS and updating the mods here and there. And, you know, uh, that was maybe how our relationship kind of formed in terms of the task o- o- like load. And 
riff on ideas back and forth. It was a 50-50 split, of course, but you know, a lot of uh, maybe graphic work fell on my plate and maybe some more overhead and um, um, sensibility would come from Clarence. <laughs> Anything to chime in? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a pretty fair way to, to say it. I mean, everything, we, we generally tried to make sure that we were both at every play test. And after every play test, we would usually have like a quick meeting, talk about what happened and you know what what we needed to, to do next uh yeah so i mean it was a lot of uh like i said you know riffing off each other and just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth we had uh we had like this uh big google spreadsheet where we we put ideas in there and we would like comment on each other's ideas and talk about you know if we thought something would work or not very cool and are the two of you still working together like do you have any other projects that people should be looking out for either together or separately we we do have something that we can't talk about just yet but yeah the relationship uh, continues yeah. clarence <laughs> whether you like it or not cute very cute i love it um so then i guess for the wolves uh, how long in total do you think from like that initial inspiration of the game to its final publication do you think it took yo this is this is ashwin i think this was an anomaly uh, i think this is a one of one very rarely happens i think in the industry i think we got lucky we were super blessed from inception of the idea like july of that year to november like that's how long it took for us to get the idea pitch, like idea kind of conceived to signed and then maybe forward two years from that, the whole like development cycle and production cycle, graphic design and, you know, kind of getting kind of QAQC out like a two year cycle is pretty uh, common. That's what it is. So it's like around November of this year, the game will be out in stores. And so that's how it kind of came to be. That is super impressive. Especially because it's not like a party game. Like, no offense to party games, but I've made a party game in a month that came out really quick. But, like, your game is not a party game. It had a <laughs> lot more going on with it. Uh, how, I mean, it hasn't been out super long. And I know, like, the shipment to Spiel ended up getting a little bit messed up. So, not as many people that should have it in their hands do. But from the initial responses, what are you seeing? Like, are people enjoying it? Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, this is Clarence. I, I think. It, overall there's been really good uh response to it it it's interesting like there's not um there's not as many um english responses since uh there's a bunch of like we'll see stuff on on instagram or or youtube or whatever in, in other languages and uh i'm like i wonder what they think and sometimes auto translate is an amazing thing but yeah i, I think overall uh people have been pretty happy about it so far yeah well, you know we're not wolves, so we don't know 100% what wolves do, uh, what they think, or how they would enact on certain, you know, scapes of landscape. So we decided to hell with figuring it out, and we went with the tile flipping mechanic. And I think the puzzling nature, the accessibility is kind of welcoming. Um, area control can kind of seem damning to certain groups and party uh, groups of, you know, of players and types of gamers. And, uh, ooh, take that dominate action could sound like, ooh, I'm uh, averse to that type of uh, system. But this game is kind of just about points growing your your pack. And you'll see that even despite those barriers of entry, the theme welcomes people in. uh, And Wolves has been kind of underrepresented 
in as a theme, as like a as an yeah. entity, and and actually in all scapes of like walks of wolves, <laughs> like uh, they're they're treated as the big bad wolf. They're treated as negative, and they're like a huge part of our ecosystem. And um, it, it felt great to kind of represent them in the highlight and highlight them. Yeah, and I think people are responding to that, and I think. Another thing is the accessibility. You do quick actions. You see powerful turns that resonate with the players that have these big impactful moments where they remember. They remember this memory of I did this really swingy turn and it and, and impacted this game in this manner and I will try this path or I saw this player do this. I can't wait to try that next time. I'm seeing some of that resonate in reviews or comments or, you know, um, feedback about the game i love that you're telling the wolf story even though you did not interview a wolf and you don't know but you claim that you know that you don't know but i love it it's so great i really did enjoy play testing it and it sounds like not a ton changed from the time that i played it in 2020 so i'm excited to eventually get my copy is it gonna be at pax unplugged e, barring some uh, you know unforeseen shipping of, yeah. craziness yes it gotcha. will be there well, i'll bring my cool. copy at least Sweet. Well, then I will definitely be picking up a copy. Um, well, then for the two of you, tell me what was your favorite and what was your least favorite part of the design journey of the wolves? Sure. Uh, this is Clarence. For me, the favorite part, um, I've kind of already covered, but it was basically figuring out that action system uh, and then consistently, you know, getting the, the feedback that the action system was great, like getting getting that told to us over and over again was was just a, a great feeling like it really made us feel like we were on the right track and and had something something special and then um for my least favorite i would probably say you know it's just that it's it's when you when you don't know what to when you see a problem but you don't know how to fix it and you're just kind of floundering right and that that always happens and you work through it but it, it just sucks at the time and, and like i remember feeling that way about um like not knowing how to end the game like our first 10 play tests i would say didn't end we we called them after like an hour because we didn't know how to end the game or and and we didn't have like the right pacing to to end the game and we didn't know what the triggers would be we were just like let's let's figure out all the core mechanics first and we'll figure out the end game later and that was just like haunting me for the longest time like how are we going to end this game and so but you know eventually i think we found like a really cool system for that the the moonlight board where when pieces are taken off of the main board they go onto this this time track called the moonlight board and that eventually you know triggers these scoring rounds and and it it works great and i'm really happy with it but it was it was rough getting there <laughs> yeah and uh for me this is ashwin uh, my favorite part you know i'm clarence Bring out the napkins. It was uh, meeting you. It was through the mentorship Aww. program. It was before even the conversation started about meeting. Uh, let's uh, let's do a game together. And then my least favorite part was when it ended. You know, like divorcing yourself from that experience really sucked because it's like, what do I do now? I didn't want to, you know, think about anything else. I wanted to keep working on the wolves, and I didn't want the game to ever end. Those ten those ten play tests that Clarence was just talking about, I never wanted them to end. You know, I just wanted to keep going. Like, let's go seven hour, eight hours. Let's go deep. Uh, that's a slight joke. Basically, I love the experience and I, I didn't want it to end. And so, you know, uh, working on uh, new designs has helped me kind of divorce myself from that, you know, that anxiety of uh, or how are people going to like it? How are people going to um, think about this game or um, us as designers or 
you know, like how did we do for Panasaurus, right? Like a rep Panasaurus as a company and even that like development time, that cycle, like how could we involve ourselves or uh, get in, uh, in, in the door in terms of helping the development cycle, you know, just like that time of waiting really kind of was a, I wouldn't say a negative, but it was just maybe my least favorite experience of this whole process. Yeah. Oh, I could see that, especially with how quickly you did that turnaround of the initial part and it was the back end that was taking longer. It's also yeah. funny that you have this game and then the Fox experiment is also by Pandasaurus also coming out at the same ish time. You got like right. two dog off brands. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it so much. All right. Well, then if you could offer one piece of advice to other designers, what would you give? So for me, this is Clarence. I I'm going to make this a two in one because it's like one piece of advice for new designers and one for experienced designers. So for, for new designers, I would say connect with other, other designers, like find design groups in your city or wherever you're at, find online design groups, look at the mentorship program. All that kind of stuff is great because other designers will can help you a lot with your game. And then for experienced designers, I would say stop testing with other designers. <laughs> Because at some point, and this is especially true for um, for light games, I think designers can they can sometimes make you think that your design isn't as far along as it really is because every designer has ideas about what they want a design to be, and, and at some point, like your your audience is just like the the general gaming public, and they might like it just as it is, and and they'll give you better feedback than than designers will in some cases yeah i mean just to double down on that point like uh couldn't uh recommend that point enough designers can often obviously like what would you do as a designer and you kind of do the what aboutism or what ifism and they can get really spiral into a conversation that lasts forever that doesn't really amount to well this game is for other people not just one person that has all these ideas um if i could offer one piece of advice i'd be uh pretty um uh, like uh, concise uh, uh, advice giver. I can't. I can. I can give you a thousand pieces of advice, but I'll narrow it down <laughs> okay. to like four. My oh, first one. Right. <laughs> my first one is like find your Clarence. Find the people that you can vibe with, that you can talk design with. Just like what Clarence was saying, find game designers. Find people that are like just of like minded, like from cut. You know, come from the same kind of cloth. For, I guess, inexperienced game designers like me, I'll still say that for sure. Um, design multiple games at a time. Actually play multiple games. Play all the games from like party games to um, disc golf <laughs> to like sports. Like play all the games and figure out what makes them kind of work as a mechanism and find the, the core loops of all that stuff. And um, even those heavy, crunchy, you know, mathy games try them out and even if you hate them even if you hate the idea of them play them because why because some people do like them some people love them they could be their lifestyle kind of game right um and don't just sit on one design like um because you could sit on that that piece for four or five years seven eight years and nothing can come out of it try something else maybe there's not something working with this game right now shelve it come back to it ride the momentum and then i guess my final piece of advice is you don't come in the box at all Right, like make sure everything is as clear as you can make it when you when you pitch it to uh, publishers, but also when you play test it with people. And I love that point that Clarence made. Play with non gamers. Play games with non gamers. Uh, 
play test your game with non-gamers because you'll find so much you'll be so much more enriched by the experience of you sharing your game with people that wouldn't expect certain things and oh they hear area majority and they know 100 percent what that is you know they hear a trick taker and they're like oh i know i know how to trump this i know how to play these games and that that like unguided kind of feeling will really help you kind of solidify what you are trying to aim for in your designs. Oh yeah, no, I did blind playtesting with like my family and friends that were not gamers to make sure that our rule book for her story was good. And it definitely helped to have people that don't know what a lot of the terminology is. Like they didn't even know what like set collection was. So oh, yeah. playing with people that don't know the terms will help you write the best rule books. <laughs> but all great advice, a lot of advice, a lot more than one, but all really good advice. So I don't <laughs> want to stop you. I do have a question though. If you two had to choose, would you prefer to either co-design or solo design? Uh, without question, co-design. Clarence might have different opinions, but uh, co-design 100% of the way because your ideas, my ideas are only my ideas and I want to grow as a designer and maybe I'm only as good as what I can become right now, right? But other ideas can kind of help evolve you and iterate your thoughts quicker. And you can be a, a, a springboard for someone else and their ideas. And you can co-design together and uh, have the best nugget of an idea that was basically the combination of two ideas, right? Filtering into one, right? You can help vet each other out. And some of these ideas that could come into play and test for months, if not years, someone could say, you know what? This doesn't seem like this would work in this t- style of game. And you would you wouldn't have that um kind of uh feedback because you're so uh focused on getting this one idea or this loop created so co-design 100 percent of the way yeah and, and for me uh it's clarence i i i've done both uh and i think i really enjoy both and would do them kind of uh, will continue to do both i think because i think they they have their their pros and cons right like especially if you have a game that you're like that maybe you don't know what direction to take it in or, or it's dealing with some mechanics that you're not as familiar with or not as you know systems that you're not as good as at designing being able to bounce ideas off of somebody is great but sometimes like having doing co-design can can feel like it's a a slower process because if you're doing it kind of the what i would consider the right way right like keeping all the co-designers involved and letting everybody have their say then it requires a lot more consensus a lot more discussions uh you know feeling like you don't want to change anything unless you talk with your co-designer first so in that sense like a, a solo design can can be faster and 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 feel um you know good in that that different kind of way i think both are very good points I personally like solo design, but with uh, additional help, such as like being a part of different groups or like Mm -hmm. having little powwows or whatever you want to do. But I do love co-designing. You become a much better designer when you work with other people, hands down. Let me just say this, and this is Ashwin. um, Designing by myself, that first like tabletop mentorship program bout, I did negative work, right? I did nothing. And that was me by myself trying to show up and trying to, you know, present work. And that was really hard. It was hard to get past that hurdle sometimes those extra set of hands to get dirty can kind of help you get started mold that piece of clay and um with solo designs yeah it can come easily and that can come easy for some and others maybe not for me my typology of game designer uh in me i i feel like i like talking it out with people as opposed to talking it internally monologuing and never getting anything done because oh i gotta get order pizza oh i gotta yep. you know uh go for a walk you know i i, I will 
periodically come in in and out of game design and whereas the session of like oh, let's meet for an hour it feels really good to kind of have that locked down in your schedule and talking things through and finding some sort of resolution within and yeah maybe it's slower but maybe that's what it needs to be i also feel like the accountability can be really good for some people like Absolutely. i i do solo mostly but i have the accountability of working in a studio with a team so i can meet up every week and I have to show up and I have to have like X, Y, and Z done, which is really nice. And afterwards we get to talk about it. And like at times they'll give me good feedback that I would have never thought about. So it's like having co-designers, except I get to make the final choices without fighting (laughs) or we will split tests. And then however the split test goes is what's going to happen next. All right. Well then for my last question of the show, I always like to ask if you could be the designer of any game that you did not design, what game would it be and why? So for me, this is Clarence. Uh, I think it would probably have to be No Thanks. No Thanks is the kind of design that, to me, makes me angry how elegant it is. And it's, it's just something like I would, I would love to design something that elegant. Like so few components, few rules, but this really fascinating experience. Yeah, and for me, uh, not Clarence. Um, I would, I, my white whale would have to be like this heavy game that takes three, four hours. It's like kind of like, you know, um, like a dominant species like game. But I think just to be very realistic (laughs) in terms of what game could I have seen myself designing, but not would be Marvel snap. Get on it, y'all. It's so remarkable. It's so elegant as Clarence put, it really uh, speaks to uh, accessibility as a uh, barrier of entry. There is none. You just, you know, install log in it's a digital game first of all it's not a tabletop game but you could see like you know formations of this game happened physically you could see how they formed their their, the game components physically and play tested this thing and seeing how things are uh happening in like a really quick pace that game uh speaks to me as a, a like a lesson for all the game designers to play Marvel Snap and see what is working, what isn't working, and riff off of that and make try to find yourself <laughs> making a better game because I don't think you could. Interesting. I have not played that. I have played No Thanks, and it is a lot of fun, especially when you're slap happy at a ridiculous hour at a convention, which is how I was introduced to it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Uh, Thanks to both of you. And thank you to the audience for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 52, The Wolves. And thanks again, Ashwin and Clarence. For anyone trying to find you guys online, where can you be found? Uh, For me, this is Clarence. Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter. My handle is at Stoic Hamster. Yep. And this is Ashwin. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and I guess TikTok, but don't don't really follow me on TikTok. So I don't really do any of that. Must I just follow, follow. I just follow food. <laughs> I just follow the food talk. And uh, anyways, um, at Board Game Ghee, G-H-E-E, uh, like the butter, only purified. Nice. See, I'm still mad because you can find me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter under the username Token Gamer. And that's like G-A-Y-M-E-R, which I found really cute and punny. But it was taken on TikTok so that I can never have it. And I'm so no. sad. I know. <laughs> Granted, no offense, since I moved to the East Coast, there's a lot more gamers <laughs> out here than where I was before, where I actually was the token. So, eh, I mean, good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to keep with it. Well, thanks, guys. This was a ton of fun. And I can't wait to have a copy of your game when I get to PAX. 
Thanks. Yeah, this was great. Right on. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Join us next time.